irreverent, entertaining, cool. You're listening to LA Talk Radio. Talk Radio. This is Max and Friends and all podcasting platforms. I'm your host, Max Tucci. So I know we're doing something new here tonight on Max and Friends. We're on Facebook Live. And um, welcome to the show. But if you're tuning on all podcasting platforms, what does that mean? It means you're listening to iHeartRadio, Pandora, Stitcher, uh, Podbean, and so on and so forth. And wherever you find your favorite podcasts on. So I'm grateful that you're listening. I'm grateful that you're tuning in and watching. Tonight's going to be a great show. You know, we've got to, like, spice things up. I've been here 13 years, man, 13 years, and it just gets better. You know, um, it's a lot of fun. So it's a live show. You know, I haven't done live in a while, but there's been some changes at the studio. I'm no longer on the West Coast. Um, let me take some time to connect with you. If you're tuning in for the first time, welcome. I've been here 13 years. Like I said, where have you been? You're now joining the show. We do conscious conversations here on Max and Friends. So um, I'm grateful that you're tuning into them. I want you to be a part of them. So tweet me at Max Tucci. Instagram me at Max Tucci. Be part of the show. Slide into my DMs. Let me know what's up. Let me know what's going on in your life. And genuinely, like I've said over the last 13 years, I want to hear from you. This is a show about, you know, just saying, I see you, I hear you, and you matter. And I promise you do. And it's just a commitment that I made to the show, to myself, and to being, you know, a really good host, but a listener. So I'm a great interviewer, but I'm also a great listener. So I want to hear what you have to say. So tweet me at Maxucci, Instagram me at Maxucci, and let me know what's going on in your life. We have a great show tonight. You know, there's a lot going on in sports these days. And um, openly gay seems to be the new thing from the NFL to the NHRA, and maybe those letters you don't know, the last four, but we're going to talk about them here tonight, and we have a great guest who's coming on in just a minute, but before he gets here, I want to just spend some time with you and let you know a couple of things. One, I produce here a show every Monday called The Polish Woman, so tune in tomorrow, Mondays. If you're tuning in Sunday night live, tune in Mondays to The Polish Woman at 1 p.m. Pacific time. It's a show that I executive produce here on LA Talk Radio. Um, it's a really good, motivational, inspirational show that helps learn teach women how to live a life that is one where they are polished we motivate we inspire and it's really a great show that that i love oh you get to see you y'all shit y'all have never been into my house <laughs> i'm just realizing that so i'm in my office my library and yes this side looks very stuffy this is the professional side there's some of my awards over there um, the other side, the flip side, is where I have my Ashley Longshore books, Asseline Rizzoli, and so on and so forth. So this is the more, this, you're probably thinking, what the fuck is going on in Max's office, and why is it so stuffy? Well, this is the professional side, <laughs> the professional side of things. So, um, yeah, so I won a couple of awards for the Polish Woman here, too, on Max and Friends. We won some awards. So thank you for being part of the journey. I really, truly appreciate it. What books are you reading here? You know, I didn't even like clear off my desk or anything. This is my realness, my Alan Watts books and Eaton. Eaton is going to be brought up tonight because in this magazine here, what I did was I did a really great interview and I wrote an essay here about Delmonico's. And Delmonico's plays a huge part in tonight's, here's the article. See you at Delmonico's. All right. It plays a huge part in tonight's interview um, because it's that building there on the corner of Viewer in South William that brought my next guest and I together. So, all right. Yeah, there's so much to talk about. I don't even know where to start, but I do. So welcome my guest to the show, Travis Shoemake to Max and Friends. Welcome to the show. How's it going, Max? Thanks for having me on tonight. I'm so grateful that you're here. And it's like, welcome to the show. It's great to be doing it from inside the Delmonico's building. I don't even like get me started because I can't weep at the first opening of the show. You're like the first guest from Delmonico's. I feel like it's just like the right place to be. So it's very cool. And also we're doing this first, like we haven't done a live show on camera in for, I think forever. We used to do it when I was in the studio in LA, but you know, it's like 
after COVID, I wasn't so cool about bringing people into the house. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Especially for this reason, because it's like, what is going on back there? It's not a green screen. That shit's real. <laughs> and um, so, yeah. So welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. Thank um, you. There's so much to talk about. And I want to go, we're going to go into a little bit of like, um, this is your life. You remember that show, Travis? Mm-hmm. This is your life. Because you have one, really, you're young, but it seems like you've lived many in this short period of time that you've been here. So let's get into the genesis of who you are and the beginning of your journey and the family that you were born into. So tell us about you, Travis. All right. Well, where so there it was, August 10th, 1984, 7.30 a.m. Uh, no, so, well, I was <laughs> born and raised in, in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, my mom and dad uh, and my sister, Heather, kind of a, a small all-American Southern Baptist family, but the one plot twist in there of several is that my dad was a professional race car driver. Um, so when you don't know it, when you're a kid, you just think it's what everyone's parents do. They drive, you know, 300 mile an hour race cars um, and then go to church or you go from church to get on an airplane to go to a race. You just, you, you think this is normal. Uh, right. And so, you know, unique, unique childhood living there in Phoenix and, um, and having that experience with my father. Unfortunately, he passed away when I was 15. Um, in a car accident, not related to racing, just a, a Saturday morning, wrong way driver accident. Let's talk about that real quick, because yeah. that was, I read about that in some of the, about the articles that I read about you. And I was like, wow, your father like risked his life every day racing. And, and yet it Saturday was Saturday morning, a Saturday yeah. morning when he wasn't racing, yeah. that he was hit and run of all things. Yeah. And they, they so, caught, I mean, they caught the guy a couple of days later, but um, yeah, just a, uh, Raw wrong way crossover freeway accident. So as a young as a young guy growing up, what was that effect on your life? I mean, here's this man who I saw, you know, we looked through your Instagram. It's like you see you had this happy childhood, you're at the racetrack, you're with him, and then he's gone. What did that do to you? Yeah, it was a you know, it was a very weird year or two for me in my life. You know, I not only was I coming out, so I was going through that process, I had attempted suicide about nine months before my dad died. So it was kind of a weird shifty time for me in general. So then to lose my dad um, and, you know, just kind of also my connection to racing, right? We were racing go-karts, which sounds silly, but we had like a 105 mile an hour go-kart. It was like a real thing. Uh, Mm -hmm. And just to have everything, you know, that half of your life, that every other weekend, my parents were divorced um, Mm -hmm. and, you know, the future plans and what you're going to do just kind of all stop. Um, I think I did a lot of compartmentalizing, I'd say, or my therapist, my several therapists over the last 20 years say, you know, I did a great job of okay, let's move on. I just, uh, you know, you know, put that behind me. And now this going back into racing has really opened that up for me and allowed me, I think, to, to digest it or to maybe reconnect with it and, and, and reimagine my relationship with my dad, thinking that I only had those 15 years. Now it's like a new beginning of that relationship. Yeah. You know, I was eight years old and my father died. And um, what's interesting is the building that you're in a couple of floors up, was his office mm-hmm. and um a couple more floors up was the playground for me on the roof of that building so you know it's interesting to be in that space so i understand how you're saying that connection because i haven't been in that building inside the apartments for for years if not 20 years or if not more so it was like really bizarre to feel the connection of that spirit of that energy of the legacy of my father mm-hmm. so when you got behind the wheel for the first time what did that feel like for you and what was going on through your mind uh, you know, it was pretty intense. It's a pretty quick four seconds. Uh, but you know, the, the intensity of the car is exactly what I thought it would feel like. But the first time I got to the end of the track and you are shutting off all the fuel gauges and this kind of like a, a techno dance I'm doing in the race car, <laughs> I, I, I got really emotional. I cried quite a bit in my helmet, uh, which yeah. you know, I have onboard cameras watching me cry. Just, just that feeling of that. I really did this and I've always wanted to experience this, always thought I was going to experience this prior yeah. to my dad dying. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was such a cool feeling and, and to, to, to relive that and to, to now be doing what he did just, I never thought would happen. So I guess, yeah, the, the feeling would be overwhelming. Overwhelming. So you're listening to Max and Friends here on LA Talk Radio and all podcasting platforms. I'm your host, Max Tucci. My guest tonight is Travis Schumach. He is charting a quick path to to being the first openly gay pilot of an 11,000 horsepower, 330 MPH nitro funny car in the NHRA um, World Drag Racing Series. Let's get into NHRA. Okay. Because we talk about NFL and people know about NFL and, you know, that whole story that broke. It was the same day that you broke your story that the NFL had their first openly gay player. 
So tell us, let's go into the history of NHRA. What does that mean? So it's the National Hot Rod Association, right? So mm-hmm. 70 years ago, people were drag racing all over the streets. They're getting their two cars lined up. Who's got the faster car? They drive down usually like an old, an old street or an abandoned airfield. And so the NHRA came around to sanction that, to say, let's make it safe. Let's make rules. Mm-hmm. And let's also add some competition and some money at the end, right? Let's all, we all, if 16 cars show up, everyone chips in and we'll run the sport uh, and you guys can cash in on the way out. Uh, so also create kind of the safeties and then separate the classes and set regulations on how cars are built. Uh, so quarter mile racetrack, two cars line up. There's a little Christmas tree. If you can picture seeing it in movies, little orange lights that go down to a green light at the bottom. Or like the Mariah Carey video. <laughs> or like the or in pop culture reference, the Mariah right. Carey video. Uh, and then, so yeah, the takeoff, right? It's about it's 100 miles an hour a second in acceleration. So you cover the, the racetrack in about 3.7 seconds at 330 miles an hour. Parachutes come out the back. Now, hopefully I'm triggering more memories for people like, okay, I get it. Crazy loud. You don't understand the intensity of the sport until you're there. But even if you're, you know, a thousand feet from the racetrack, when the cars take off, your whole body shakes, your nose burns from the nitromethane. So it's by far the most intense motorsport to watch, especially when they crash or they blow up, right? The nitromethane and, and uh, the way that these cars go- crash going so quickly are, are quite impressive. Very safe these days, but um, this is a very entertaining sport. And then I'll be in what's called a funny car. I actually have one of my dad's, which is cool when your your dad's like a model car. I didn't make this, you can buy this. So I crawl inside of here like a clamshell, just like kind of this big crazy engine. And then this gets put on top of me and I come out the top if it's on fire, but yeah, this is what- Wait, have you ever been in the car when it's on fire? No, I don't hope to, but I know I will, but I have not yet, no. And then when when you you say you know you will, how do you know you will? What does that mean? Uh, it just it happens, right? So nowadays that you know they're they're so intense and they they the explosions are usually quick but very big, right? So if I'm going this way and the car explodes, usually the fire and the explosion stay there while I go on wow. safely. Wow. Um, and so it's something that happens like normally, would you say? Yeah. So something happened. I mean, I would say once in a season, every person's going to have their car blow up. Um, mm-hmm. I have something happen. So what happens when the car blows up? Like you're fucked. Well, not necessarily. You can still win, right? If you're going okay. fast enough and the car blows up, and as long as you but stay your car, in your lane. So what happens? Like walk through. So the car blows up. Then what happens? This is intriguing. They pick. They will put it on a flatbed trailer. If it's not, if it's good enough to just be repaired, you've got about ninety huh. minutes between rounds. Um, okay. Or you can pull another one out of your race car trailer. So this is a pretty elaborate operation. Each car is about a half a million dollars. Uh, mm-hmm. So you can destroy a half a million dollar car and be back on the starting line in ninety minutes in a, your backup car to do it all again, which, which happens quite a bit. You know, some racers on a, on a bad, bad weekend will go through three race cars um, uh, over two days. So wow. I don't want that to ever be the case. I'd like to have one race car that is never on fire. And one really good one, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> what, a winning one, a winning one. Yes. So there's so much to talk about my guest tonight. I'm saying your last name right, right? Yeah, Shoemake. Two words, Shoemake. Shoemake, that's not it. not like that, yeah. <laughs> cool. You know, because sometimes I'll be in the middle of a show and then I can note in my ear that says, are you saying his name right? Like I just got. So <laughs> I forgot to ask you at the top of the show because we were talking about everything else. And so here we are. But so if you're listening to Max and Friends right now, I'm gl- grateful that you're here. Travis Shoemake is my guest. We're talking about the NHRA and race car driving. Now, it's Funny Car. Explain, fu- we got much to talk about, but explain Funny Car. Yeah, so it's the clamshell car. So you picture drag racing. Most people recognize the skinny, the dragster, right? So it's like right. long and narrow with a pointy nose. This mm-hmm. is the same combination of engine and power. It's just a shorter wheelbase. And the reason it's called a funny car is it's supposed to resemble a car you could buy in the showroom, right? So the Ford Mustang, um, it, it's about the bubbly, weird, funny version of a Ford Mustang. Like, oh, I get it. The front looks like a Ford Mustang. That's about the only thing that's recognizable of, mm-hmm. of the car. And it's made out of a, a carbon fiber uh little race car body that's about $60,000. This very lightweight um, replica of a car that sits on top of the, the chromoly steel frame with the 500 cubic inch nitro burning engine. I, my legs actually wrap around. So I'm actually have like, as most people on a video do, I have like a weird side table here with books. My legs are around it. That's how I sit in the, in the race car. So I could reach out like this and hold on to the, to the engine. It's, it's between my legs. Wow. That's yeah. amazing. So I have some talking points here that we need to go over. Okay. There's one in particular that says how Max and I met. And let's, so how did we meet? <laughs> I don't. I just think met. it's so interesting. That, <laughs> it is so. a fun story. And my producers are all trying to figure out like, what does the Monica's have to do with this whole situation? And 
Here we go. So I live in the Delmonico's building. My partner's lived here for about 15 years. Um, I, and he used to live, we found out afterwards, but he used to live in my grandfather's old office. Yep, right upstairs on the fourth floor. Yep. I convinced him to move down to this one. For, <laughs> it had nicer baseboards, some better lighting. So during COVID, you know, when you're bored to death, you're like, let's move down a floor. Uh, right. <laughs> so we moved down here to the third floor, but I guess it was yeah, maybe two months ago or so, you were out having a photo shoot on the front steps. Um, I'm sure I was in like Birkenstocks with tall socks and a bad bad afro and, and a mask walking by but i walked by a couple times going to do different errands out front um and then i got back up to my phone and you had hashtag delmonico's and so we i started following you you started following me and then i realized that you're like the delmonico's historian which i think i am so i've any i have like the, <laughs> the ebay alerts the etsy alerts i have this custom piece of art i've had made of our building i love it i've got every book and then suddenly I meet this guy who's like, actually, I'm Mr. Delmonico's. I'm like, no, I'm Mr. <laughs> Delmonico's. And so we were just exchanging messages back and forth. And you happened to be in town. And I was like, gosh, do you want to have a drink and talk about Delmonico's? And Max brought the blueprints of the building. It was the coolest thing. So my partner and I met him at a bar down the street and rolled out the blueprints and looked at what's what. And then I got the opportunity to bring Max back to his old home, 20 years plus in the making. And uh, we took a... a, a, a all night tour of the roof and in the basement and in the old hallways. The and basement was the coolest part because, you know, originally that used to be the kitchen of the building. Mm -hmm. So when we're talking about Delmonico's, we're talking about the one downtown in Manhattan, not the one that's like the hotel. There is a big confusion. It's going to be in the book. Speaking of the book, you know, a lot of you, I've been telling about the book and you've been trying to figure out when am I going to break the news about the book? So speaking of Delmonico's and because Travis is in the, in the building now, I guess it's just fitting to let you know, yes, my book was picked up. I've really never told any of you guys for the last uh, 15 years, <laughs> 13 years that we've been doing it. So I've been doing working on the book longer than I've had this show, believe it or not, guys. So yes, um, and my publisher is Rizzoli. You all didn't know that until tonight. So there you go. Tonight's the right night to let all you know right. about my book that's coming out next fall. It'll be out next fall, and um, Rizzoli's publishing it. So I'll keep you all posted, and, and thank you. Cheers, indeed. So the Demonical building, yes, it plays a big role in our story. It's what brought us together. It's what brought us together. And you know what's funny is that I have the blueprints. But tell us about, you know, and the day that I, we met, I had a meeting with Demonicos, with the new managing team. I promise you all, Demonicos is going to rock your socks off coming this fall 2021. So stay tuned for the opening of Demonicos. But um, tell us about the bar we went to. We have to support that local little bar. It was adorable. Two floors. It was like this cute little place. And it's like open, like... Like 24-7, basically. Yeah, it's a coffee shop in the morning, a bar at night. It's called Split Eights. It's on Exchange in Williams, right up the street from us. It opened two weeks before COVID. So we, we would go and spend as much time as we can when they were open over the winter and get to go cocktails. Um, but a nice young couple, she runs the coffee shop. He makes the drinks at Split Eights uh, here in, in the financial district, which That's is like a, a booming residential hub now. You know, For those of you who think of downtown Manhattan as just office buildings and the Statue of Liberty and somewhere to walk by on your way to the Brooklyn Bridge, my whole intersection is all residential buildings. You know, you know, 10 years ago, it was just one. And now every corner is residences. And um, it's a real family-friendly kind of place down here. So rediscover the financial district. <laughs> what are you on the board of the five? I know, I just... right? <laughs> What's the magazine? There's like downtown New York magazine or something. Like you need to be a contributor or a writer for them. Yeah. <laughs> right? So lots to talk about here on Max and Friends. Travis Shoemake, he's my guest. You're listening to Max and Friends, not only on LA Talk Radio, but on all podcasting platforms. So you are the first openly gay professional drag race car driver following in your father's footsteps. What does that mean personally to you and then to the industry? Yeah. So to me, I, you know, we kind of touched on it, just that feeling of reconnecting to my dad, but also, you know, when I've always had the answer in my head of, you know, what would you do if you could do anything tomorrow different? Oh, I'd go be a race car driver or what, you know, what do you want to do when you grow up? I want to be a race car driver. What do you do if you win the, uh, the lottery? Oh, I'll go be a race car driver. And I've always said, well, eventually, at some point, I'll go be a race car driver. It's going to happen. Um, so this, for me, is really like, I'm sure that most people can compare. If you have this thing in your life that's like, someday I'm going to do that crazy thing. Like, I'm going to go be a firefighter, fighter, fire, excuse me, firefighter. I'm really doing that dream for me. And so I don't, and it's, it's hard for me to wrap my head around that I'm actually in the process of fulfilling that wild dream. Mm -hmm. From the sport perspective, you know, it's just a representation issue. So I, I, I say that I'm not breaking into drag racing. I already go here. This is my family. I've been a part of this sport and I've been well received by people. Most of I was going to ask you, how are they receiving you being, are you, so you're the own openly gay one. Are there others that you know of that aren't out? 
Uh, so the way, I, the way I would say it is I'm sure there have been many drivers over the decades who have raced in silence, you know, not mm. being comfortable. And, and it's a very tough climate with conservative, a very strongly conservative fan base. And, you know, you don't want to lose your sponsorship from your company if, if you know, it's, it's not the right time. And I think it's just that right time. And, um, you know, the next generation of youth, you know, they're a much larger population that are identifying as LGBTQ mm. and they deserve representation in, in sports. And I think LGBTQ members deserve a spot in the sands and on sides of race cars. And um, I just think we need to go do this. So but this totally a- like, it totally shouldn't be a big deal. This should just be like no. the norm. Like here I am driving a car. Okay. I'm gay, but that's not why I'm, you know, it's like I'm driving the car because of the sport, right. you know? And so why is it important that people know that you're a gay driver? Yeah. So I'm trying to kind of get the conversation out of the way earlier. Like I want it to be that, God, we're talking about Travis because his car always blows up. He's the guy who burns up four race cars a weekend. I got it. I got it. And I want there to be that, that visibility again, bringing the sport is on the rise. Viewership is up. The average attendance is 70,000. I mean, that's more than a, you know, a football game that come to the racetrack Mm -hmm. every weekend. It's on Mm -hmm. Fox 21 weekends of the year. It's growing faster than any other motorsport. So it should have equal representation. And they've had our first African-American winner of a drag racing championship was in the 70s, women in the 80s. I mean, we've already always been leading the way in drag racing and diversity. And so it's just one more notch in the belt. But for me, it's important to get it out there early. I also think it's important that I have a goal to raise a lot of money, right? This, as these race cars I'm talking about blowing up are not coming out of my paycheck. Right, so <laughs> how, how can we bridge that gap? How are you making money to make this happen? I know we've spoken behind the scenes and you yeah. know off, off air, but how, if someone's listening right now, corporations, individuals, you know, how is it possible to fund your dream? Yeah, so drag racing compared to other motorsports is I'd say the least expensive. NASCAR can be up to you know, $30 million a year I can have a very successful season of drag racing for $2 million, which sounds like a crazy thing that I'm saying. It's no big deal. $2 million is a lot of dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, but from a corporation and a marketing budget, you know, sometimes it's, it's really not. And for the exposure and the impact uh, that drag racing and the reach it has, and this particularly, it's market of viewers, right? We know the strong demographics of who watches the sport. And there are companies that want to be in front of that. And I think my storyline and hopefully my success are something that people want to attach themselves to. So I don't physically own a race car. What will happen is I will identify a sponsor here, hopefully in the next, you know, two to three months that I'll then pair with one of the four big race teams. So in drag racing, there are teams that own three funny cars and two dragsters. Um, So I come to the table and say, I have Kleenex and Kleenex gave me $2 million and I shall now sit inside of your Ford Mustang. Uh, So it's a, that's kind of how the, the, the transaction goes, I guess, in sponsorship. Um, but there's a lot of opportunity out there and, you know, certainly doesn't have to be $2 million. You know, there's a lot of drivers that do it for quite a bit less. Um, but I think we're going to, I'm going to make it happen. Now, do I have any solid leads? Hard? No. Am I going to get them by November? Yes. You know, that's my attitude about this, uh, is I'm just, I'm going to make it happen. And I have to keep that heart kind of beat. Drum it is. My, yeah. You know, it's the Bob Proctor philosophy. You can see it in your mind. You can create it in your reality. You know, yeah. so, and if this is your dream, all that is will rise up to meet you and give you your dream so that you have to dream bigger. Speaking of dreaming bigger, how would you dream bigger once you get all this funded and you're moving along? What would the next dream be? Yeah, to start winning races, right? So I don't want to just be the <laughs> big, like, oh, it's cool. He followed in his dad's footsteps. Oh, it's cool. He's gay. Like, no, I want to be a champion. I want to, uh, yeah, start not just breaking down these barriers, but breaking speed records. Or, you know, I think it'd be really cool to start winning races that my dad won. And that would, that would be a cool milestone to, to be at the same racetracks, you know, 35, almost 40 years, some, in some cases, 50 years later at Trump tracks that my dad was the champion at, you know, years before I was born. Um, so those are some of the bigger goals I see, you know, yes, the representation is huge and important, but at the end of the day, I want to be a badass race car driver. Uh, so those will be the next milestones, those speed records and, and those things. Well, speaking of your dad and being gay, did your dad actually know you were gay? So we had never had that conversation. You know, uh, at the time, his girlfriend, uh, she and him had had that conversation and with other members of the family, but he and I never directly had that, mm-hmm. uh, which is a disappointing thing, but at least I know that he, he knew. And, and I, I don't know how you couldn't have known. I was a, I was a pretty sassy 15-year-old. Uh, <laughs> don't let the, go, the racing go-kart fool you. Uh, so, yeah, I think he, I mean, he, de- he definitely knew, but we never talked about it. Yeah. Now for kids who are listening right now who aren't having a conversation with their father, what do you say to them or their mother for that matter, or their foster parent, which we'll talk about. What do you tell kids right now who are listening who are in that, that closet who are saying, do I have the courage to come out and tell them? How do you tell them to tell them? Yeah. I say, take it at your own pace. And you know, Mm. I think I, I, 
I didn't come out to my mom, which is crazy because she knew I was, she was finding inappropriate things on our computer. But like way before my dad died, I came out to my mom when I was 23. <laughs> mm. I was, I had long-term relationships. It just, you know, your own comfort level. I know that my, my mom loves me to death and she's involved in my life. It's not like we were, you know, in some sort of weird relationship. It just it takes comfort. It takes time. And also I think finding the right resources to educate your parents, you know, I think that's mm -hmm. a, a great step to say, Hey, this is happening and here's your toolkit. It's not your mm. responsibility to educate them, but um, if there are things you're trying to equip yourself with, you know, I think yeah. those are some of the things. Absolutely. When we know better, we do better. It's that simple. Yeah. And when we learn, teach, when we learn, teach. Speaking of learning and teaching, you know, Ash Beckham has been here on Max and Friends and she has Hard Equals Hard campaign and coming out. She has a great, great video on YouTube, TED Talk about coming out of the closet. And it doesn't have to be if you're gay, it's any closet that no closet is a place that anyone should live in, no matter if you're coming out because you're gay or if someone's coming out because they have cancer or because you're getting divorced. A closet is not a place to live. So listen to Ash Beckham. Love her as much as I do. She's got us a great book out right now and just love her and, and tune into the show. I think I have the book somewhere here. I'm not used to just like going, reaching behind me and pulling the book forward. So I'm not even ready right now. The one that's on my desk is Alan Watts. This is it. Speaking of, you're listening to Max and Friends. I'm your host, Max Tucci here on LA Talk Radio on all podcasting platforms. Sam is back with us. We're going to play a song in just a moment for one of my best friends in the whole world, Ash Ruiz. It's called Beautiful Light. We're going to play it in just a minute. Ash, y'all remember from Menudo. And speaking of Menudo, Ash is an openly gay Menudo X member. So that's an interesting conversation because I'm sure there's more of them that aren't openly gay. And um, it's just nice to be who you are and authentic in who you are. But, you know, race car driving, Travis, is that your full-time job? It is not. I wish it could be my full-time job. But even the, like, the reigning world champion is an elevator repairman. Like, you have to have a normal. Really? That, even though, yeah, I won't just become some <laughs> sit-around fancy housewife. He needs, to, you need to bring him over to the Demonico building. To fix my elevator. To fix that elevator. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I have to keep my normal job. And so, I've actually, I have three hats that I, I wear. Uh, one is as a full-time nonprofit fundraiser. So, I do individual giving fundraising, which kind of equips me for what I'm doing and in this getting sponsorship piece, right? So every year I raise, you know, ideally upwards of a million dollars plus for, for the organizations that I work with. And then at the end of the year, that money is spent and I have to raise it all again the next year. So I want to talk me. about those. I want to yeah. talk about those, um, those organizations because, you know, I, we have a great platform here and I love to share about anything where anyone can feel the, the offering to, to give, you know, a donation, a love offering, whatever it is. So we're going to talk about those. Sam, let's get the song ready, Beautiful Light, because I want to take a break real quick so that we can just be still and know for a minute. Um, let me, this is like all new technology. Because <laughs> usually we do a pre-record and it's super easy and it's done. So let's play a song, Sam, when you have a chance.
most beautiful light that I see Baby, you're the one LA Talk Radio on all podcasting platforms. This is Max and Friends. I'm your host, Max Tucci. My guest is Travis Shoemake. And the book that I was talking about before is The Ash Beckham Step Up is the book. How to Live with Courage and Become an Everyday Leader. Step Up by Ash Beckham. Love you, Ash. You got to come back here on the show. So let's get into your life, your personal life, if you will. Oh, yeah. oh I got questions. I got questions. <laughs> so, you know, we talk about a foster parent. So what does that mean to you, those words, foster parent? Because it's my understanding that you were a foster parent. And how was that experience? I was a foster parent. Yeah, I, for 11 months, had a, a seven-year-old uh, son as a single single guy. Um, you know, I was inspired. And I was a, had the opportunity to hear about how the foster system was working in Arizona and the need. There were 17,000 kids at the moment waiting for a foster placement. So not in foster care, just waiting to get into a home that was better than the one they're in. So I... I took on the challenge and, and, and not, not even really a challenge, the opportunity uh, to, to be a part of a child's life. And I knew I wanted to be a dad. I'm a terrible boyfriend. So I knew that I needed to organize. I'm kidding, Daryl. We've been doing great for coming up on four years. <laughs> hey, Daryl. Daryl. Hey, Daryl. <laughs> but at the time I was like, I got to just reorganize the cart, the horse, the order. I want to be a dad. I want to be a dad now. And I, I have the opportunity. I've got the space in my home. Mm -hmm. to open up a, a bedroom. And um, so I had a great experience with, with my foster son um, and, you know, certainly had challenges along the way with reunification, going home, coming back, going home, mm -hmm. coming back. Uh, but it's one of the things that led me to New York City. So actually, uh, he and his, his father uh, moved here to be closer to their support system. And we are, we are kind of a tight-knit trio, uh, threesome, a trio, uh, the dad and, and me and the kid. And so we actually moved here about 10 days apart. They're an hour and a half outside of the city on Long Island. And so we're still able to be in each other's lives uh, on a pretty regular basis, which is kind of cool for me and, and I hopefully for, for him and his family as well, um, that we've, we've kept that connection. Um, but it was just a, I wish more people knew about the foster system and, and yeah. knew how to get involved and how well, challenging. Well, I can tell people how to get involved right now because, you know, I don't know if you knew this, but I work with an organization called SOS Children Villages. Mm -hmm. And SOS Children Villages in Florida, SOSFlorida.com, is a place you can go to right now and you can donate time, money, love, and also know that it is a home in Florida. It's many homes. It's a village, actually. that was created. Um, SOS Children's Villages was created in Europe, not in America. It's like one of the first things of like a 501c3 that wasn't created in America first. And um, the one in Florida, which I've raised millions of dollars for over the years, um, has, I think, now 14 homes with over 72 children in a little village in South Florida. And really, they try to keep all the siblings together, not in the same house, a boy's house and girl's house. So, you know, boys stay with boys and girls stay with boys. Uh, or girls stay with girls and boys stay with boys. And everyone just kind of meets all over the way and plays. And it's a beautiful village. And I really encourage you to, um, to go check it out, sosflorida.com. So that's one way people can check out foster care. But yeah. so did foster care prepare you? Like, did it give you any wisdom? Did it teach you wisdom? It did. You know, it taught me patience. I'd say the thing that I, I would challenge uh, gay men on is my life when I, was a, when I was a foster parent was on point. When you have something else in your life that is reliant upon you to stay alive, suddenly mm -hmm. I had a six pack of abs again. Suddenly I had money in my bank account. I was eating three square meals a day. A seven-year-old goes to bed at 8.30. The first night he went to bed, I was like, what do I do? I just cleaned my house, <laughs> painted my baseboards. I was just like, wait, I guess I can't go. Shoot, I didn't get dinner. I guess I got to. So you just learn that, like, you're not prepared for suddenly your just life ends at 8.30. And, uh, wow. yeah, you're more structured and regimented. And it was just a, a fascinating experience, the impact it had on my life. Um, just the, the random things like that. Like, why do I have so much money? Because I'm not going out. Because I'm taking care of this child. And, um teaching a kid how to throw a baseball. I mean, that those, some of the memories and the things that we did, mm. um, you just, you, you can't, you, I know that he'll always remember that moment and I'll always remember, the, remember those experiences. Um, and, and to integrate those with his father. So we, we all stayed very close. You know, I kind of get to run the ship as the foster parent. So mm. we, the first night I had him, we got on FaceTime with the dad, which he was like, I don't know if that we're allowed to do this. I'm like, I'm in charge. We're allowed to do this. And so we had this really awesome co-parenting experience. Um, which was uniquely ours. And, you know, everyone does it differently, but that's how we chose to, 
to run the family so that when they reunified, it would be a smooth transition and that there are that the kid realized that he had these two parents and that we were connected and communicating. So mm. it wasn't, he wasn't hustling us against each other. Yeah. Uh, Cause they're good at that. They are. <laughs> they're good at that. You know, there was a major paradigm shift. It looks like in your life. So how was the shift from New York? You've been there now three years, but from being from Arizona and you moved to New York city, what did that prepare you for? What did Arizona, how did Arizona prepare you for New York and how has New York changed you to be you? <laughs> so I think Arizona made, you know, brought, made me so nice. I'm a real people pleasing person, which I wouldn't say is rare in New York. And I do mm -hmm. think that New York, gets a bad rap. Uh, but gosh, the downsizing of space was, a, you know, this, I'm, I'm using a fisheye lens. This apartment is very large. Don't get me wrong. But my first apartment, I didn't come live with Daryl right away. I, I shared, you know, for $2,500 a month, I shared 600 square feet with a, a hall closet that we shared. I used to have four a four bedroom house on a corner with an irrigated lot with a guest house, and <laughs> two cars. I don't own a car. I'm the, I'm probably going to be the first or only at the moment professional race car driver who doesn't. Yeah, I was going to ask you, how does it, how, how are you, how do you not own a car? <laughs> I have no tires. I own nothing with an engine. Uh, That's kind of good you, though. What you see behind me is what I own. I don't have a secret garage full of Harleys or helicopters. Uh, <laughs> so I think yeah, it's been a, a unique shift there. And also, you know, just the walking and navigating. You have this, uh, you don't walk in Arizona. We drive from Target to our garage, we shut the door, then we drive to our office and park in a parking garage. Uh, the, the walking, the physical activity is a big change for me as well. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I've adapted now. It's been three years. And of course, you know, pretty big chunk of that was COVID. So uh, being here in the yeah, financial district. Yeah, that's true. You're in a pause. And it, being in New York during during those, those first kind of intense months was like being in, I'm not trying to make light of anything, but being at Disneyland when Disneyland is closed. You just mm -hmm. walk out in this famous city. You're That's walking down. I li we live by the stock exchange and you're just standing in front of the stock exchange. I can look down four different streets and I'm the only human being. And I just, it's just a weird experience uh, to, have, to have gone through, but also built community. And when you start seeing people you recognize on the street, like, hey, Linda, how's your hip? It just gave this suddenly it's a small town, <laughs> small town New York City. Uh, so it, it's kind of revitalized uh, that feeling for me. That feeling of community was a, a positive outcome of, of quarantine. Yeah, you know, you mentioned Daryl a lot. I want to talk about him because how how did he adjust to knowing that there's a possibility you can go on a race and not come back? Yeah, we don't say it that way. We say Daryl is now the beneficiary of a two million dollar life insurance policy, so he should just. <laughs> <laughs> you're not coming back with a check will. <laughs> yeah, yes. Uh, wow. You know, I, but I mean, it's a conversation that one has to have, no? Yes. And it's not mostly about my safety. I don't think, you know, I think I've done a good job. And we watch drag racing all the time, you know, so he mm. knows how the sport works. Um, I don't think it's a concern about that. I think it's just such a big shift, right? This is 21 weekends of the year that I'll be gone, um, if not traveling more, if this really takes off. You know, some race car drivers are are, are very busy. Um, and it's it's just a a shift from being a part-time wedding planner. So I plan weddings to pay for my race car stuff. We're going to talk about that. Okay, but before sorry. we talk about that, no, so, I see, you know, so all... you you guys travel a lot, you know, and on Instagram. So where's your favorite spot to get away to? We are outdoorsy people. So we, we just got back from Alaska. Um, I've been in Alaska for about a week. I just, just got back 72 hours ago or so. Um, so we're in national parks folk. We try to do like 10 to 12 miles of hiking every day that we're out. Um, we're not really, I wouldn't not say that we're, we're not fancy. I mean, I do buy all my clothes at Old Navy if they need us, if they do want to be my sponsor. We're, we're low key. Plug, plug, plug away and then yeah. we'll tag them. We are uh, low key outdoorsy kind of guys and, uh, enjoy just, just kind of being outside, even in the city, you know, we like to take the ferry everywhere. Um, but yeah, so I'd say I, Montana last summer, we did a road trip through Montana and Wyoming and Idaho. Um, and then we just got back from Alaska. So anywhere kind of on the Western upper part of the, the country, we love to, to be outside and we're what not scared the, to camp. What was the one thing about Alaska that like you could not like gra grab a hold of? <laughs> that was like, like, uh, the, well, I guess the, the dry, okay. Now, now see, now I'm going back and saying I'm fancy. The dry can the <laughs> these dry cabins, you're like, wow, look at this cool Airbnb. And now I know what a dry cabin is. It, mm -hmm. There's no running water. It's very clear in the title. Uh, so we had some couple, we had four or five stretches in this trip that were like a, a no shampoo situation, mm. uh, which is great. I'm, I'm into it, but I think that I wasn't prepared that that was so common that it was a, a very normal thing in the whole. And state there of was Alaska. something about like the sun setting, right? Oh, you mean like that the sun never goes down? Yeah, I have. <laughs> I was. I wear my mask on my eyes. 
<laughs> in Alaska, because yeah, you repurposed the mask. <laughs> at eleven thirty, the uh, sun goes behind the mountains, but that's it's. But still it never Alaska. goes down. It's still there, right? Yeah, that's funny. So we've got to talk about. Besides being a race car driver, are there any other surprises people don't know about you? Yeah, I was. Uh, I guess I used to be that my dad's a famous race car driver, but now that's out. Uh, I two summers in a row taught Dakota Fanning at cheerleading summer camp because I'm a five time. <laughs> <That's> good. <laughs> I'm a five time cheerleading world finalist. I can still do a backflip. I can hold a girl on one hand above my head. So that's my my party trick is that I was a competitive uh, cheerleader most of my life. Uh, I think that's the other interesting thing. And then the wedding planning. So I'm paying for all of this race car stuff. Yeah, I want to talk about that. But there's one thing also that I don't think people know about you that I know about you, and that's you are like the you are like the certified flag boy of Delmonico building. What does that mean? <laughs> oh, I, I take living in it. This is a very important historic piece of, of New York. I mean, I love that on... you get it. Hold on. Pause one second. I love that. Like one thing that I think is so great about you is like your addiction to 56 Beaver Street is the same addiction that I have. So it's very odd that I speak to someone who has like this love for this building that I do. So right. tell them, tell them why it's so important. It's just, it's so it's And a, that it was almost going to be knocked down. You know, I told you that at I, dinner. My grandfather saved that building and it was almost going to be knocked down. So, yeah. I mean, it's America's first fine dining restaurant. So many cool dishes were invented here. It's, it's got such a storied history. And the fact that we get to live in this building that's extremely old and historic, I take very seriously. So I, I know every floor, also COVID got, the building got a little empty. I've been in every, pretty much every unit. I know the differences between 401 and 301. I know what used to be there and what this, when, when the last time these windows were replaced and, uh, I just think it's such a cool piece. I know You're that. like the old Italian lady in the building. Right. <laughs> but you also raised the flag. So which flag do you have up now? So uh, I had just turned the light off on it, but there's a, the big American flag in the center window. I had a pride flag up. So I used the, the original trusses uh, and supports that were on our edge. So we have a ledge that, that the original flag used to hang over the front of Delmonico. So I updated it. Uh, and I have an uplighting system out there so that uh, at night and throughout, we change it out for different things. We also do bunting on all of the windows uh, for, for Flag Day or, or Labor Day or Memorial when Day. When you say we, July. is it really you or does Daryl help you? <laughs> uh, Daryl supports me. Daryl allows me to, to cantilever out the window and hang things on the side of the building. Uh, but Daryl's just as, as passionate about our building as well. He created the building's Facebook page for all the residents to communicate in COVID so we could help each other out. Uh, you know, it's, 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 it's a cute little, uh, family effort here. And, uh, the yeah. building has always been a family affair. And, you know, I promise that one thing, you know, I'm just moving into New York back again. So when things settle down, I will get you copies of the blueprints. You saw them in person, but I'm going to get them for you. I want so, them. you know, speaking of wedding planning, you were just at a wedding in Connecticut. Like, so not only are you like a race car driver, but you're a wedding planner. How did those two dualities weave together? Uh, they, it's a great anecdote to tell a, a very stressed out bride. Like, did you, did you know I'm a race car driver? Which she's like losing her crap about something before she walks down the aisle. Uh, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a unique party trick to have up your sleeve. But for me, I've got really back into wedding planning. It's what I went for, to school for. I was mm -hmm. kind of in that industry uh, most of my adult career before getting into the nonprofit world. Uh, but I've leaned back into it because New York weddings are, are large and higher end and um, allow me to, although I lose my weekend, I don't get to explore with Daryl uh, to save money to go racing. Right. So going just like to go take a quick lap in the race car to, up, to get my license, it's a $10,000 quick check. So that's a couple of weddings you got to knock down. You know, I, certainly my nonprofit salary does not afford a hobby of drag racing. Uh, so if I'm not at a racetrack next year, I will be at a wedding. To, to offset the cost of these expenses. Uh, but I'm passionate about both. I love doing both. Um, it just kind of, I like burning the candle at both ends. It keeps me busy and, and keeps uh, my Amex from declining. Although I, I'm, <laughs> I'm assuming at some point it, it's, go, it's gonna stop soon. <laughs> so ultimate sponsor, who would it be? Oh gosh, you know, I really want, I really want Ally Bank. I'm putting it out there. Ally Bank was in NASCAR forever. They are currently, two years ago, they did a pride race car. And they got flack for it. So the next race, they did two pride race cars to say, go fuck yourself to everybody who got pissed, pissed off. That little like second pride race car was $2 million. I just need one pride race car ally. If you could just, there's just so many cool companies in racing that haven't had the opportunity to flex that rainbow flag. I always say Goodyear has never made a rainbow tire because no one's ever asked Goodyear to make a rainbow tire. 
Uh, I'm going to ask Goodyear to make a rainbow tire. And I think we're going to see these corporations say, yeah, we've just been waiting. I mean, there was no reason to put a rainbow on a car at the time because there was there's an actual association to the sport. We're going to step up to this plate. We're going to either join the sport. You know, there's two ways, right? We bring the pink dollar into the sport or we have an existing sponsor in the sport that says we're going to double down. Pinzoil is going to be the new rainbow Pinzoil car. Uh, so those are kind it's of my very simple. Yeah. We have not because we ask not. It's that simple. Yep. It's that simple. All right, we've got to play. We've got to wrap this up. All no, right. the illusion of time. Uh, they're telling me we've got to wrap it up. All right, but before we wrap it up, we've got to play a game. Okay. Um, we've got to play a word game, all right? So when I say these words, you tell me what they mean to you. One word. You can reply with one word, a sentence, however many you want. You ready? We're going to go. I have this really amazing cheesy bell because sound effects are all the rage in podcasting right now, allegedly. I can't believe, like, I set this trend. I was doing podcasting before it was even podcasting, Sam. It was called Internet Radio. And I'm like, I'm like demoting to, to a bell. <laughs> All right, let's do it. So okay. first word, okay. funny car. Fast. Arizona. Home. Delmonico's. Home. <laughs> Church. Family. Family. Church. Wait, this is so confusing. Yeah, uh, this is this is, and I I will show you the list. It is exactly how we're doing this. You're like answering the next question. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is a phrase, and we did a show about it. And I'm curious to hear what you have to say about it. Being gay and loving God. I listened to that show of yours. Uh, a viable thing, and my everyone's individual journey. Trip Shoemaker. Badass race car driver dad. I love you for being on Max and Friends. Thanks so much for Thanks being Thanks for here. having me, Max. Great. <laughs> we got to wrap this up. Before I let you go, how can people find you? Well, I just got onto Twitter because you'd think I was cool and I, I was already on Twitter. I was not. So I've got Shoemake Travis on Twitter, but I don't, on Instagram. And then um, shoot me an email, Travis at TravisShoemake.com. I'm waiting for you, Pennzoil, and Goodyear, and Ally Bank. I'm going to find right? you. And where can they cut you a check? <laughs> yeah, you, just, you can just Venmo me. At, right? like just leave it at Delmonico's. <laughs> but, you know, we're going to talk more about it because, Arizona, I know you guys are listening, and I want you to be a part of this. So I'm going to call you guys. You know we're already going to set this up. So, you know, I'm strong believer that if you can see it in mind, you can hold it in your hand. Before yeah. I let you go, what do you want little kids right now, especially let's just little gay kids, who have a dream of racing a car, who have a dream of being a multi-million dollar fundraiser, who have a dream about being a wedding planner. What do you tell them to fulfill their dreams, Travis? Yeah, get started now. I make these silly Excel documents that don't do shit for me, but I type them into things. I feel like if you write stuff down or you say it out loud, like I'm going to go be the first gay race car driver, you make it happen. And put, so put some, uh, put some pen to paper, put a stake in the sand, and uh, yeah, I... Declare your goals. Declare your goals. I love it. Well, thank you so much for being on Max and Friends, Travis. Hey, thanks, Max. All right. So here's the deal, y'all. This is what I want you to take within, with you into this week. Love one another like I have loved you. Let's just give more love, acceptance, understanding, peace, grace, and just kindness to each other. Be kind to one another. We need it more than ever. And I love you all for listening to Max and Friends. Until next time, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Max Tucci. I love you for listening. Good night and good karma. Peace out and take life to the Max. I'm your host, Max Tucci for Max and Friends.